Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome to another hour dedicated to the notion of enlightenment. An hour for inquiry, reflection, questions, possibilities, philosophical quandaries, uncovering dissonance, and a whole lot more, all in our effort to understand exactly what enlightenment means and what it is to be enlightened. An hour devoted to exploring the edge of consciousness and all that is implied thereof. Indeed, an hour dedicated to learning something more about ourselves. An hour designed to help us go further inward and perhaps challenge some of those old ideas about the world we live in and the people we have become. This is an hour where we strive to evaluate knowledge as inseparable from the total experience of reality And this is an hour where we suspend our foregone conclusions, recognizing that everything we think we know might just be wrong. With that attitude of open-mindedness, we hope to enrich our endeavor and shorten our proximity to that ineffable state called enlightenment. Okay, Ravinder, it's time for you to say hello and welcome, everyone. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Zeldin has me on the hot seat today. Every week I read a few of your letters as our way of paying respect to the importance you play in helping us to shape and improve our show. Last week we actually had a poll about this letter segment, and you unanimously voted to keep the segment in the show, but 10% of you suggested we shorten it some. All right, I'll work on that, and I do appreciate your participation in that that survey. Okay, Betty wrote, Please pass on my comments that I think Ravinder sounds like a lovely lady on the radio. Very nice, cheerful, happy voice. What do you think of that, Rav? Well, thanks, Betty. That makes me feel good. I hate the sound of my voice. So it's comments like yours that keep me here. (laughs) You look really good on video, too. But what was it you told me about how you thought you looked? Oh, fat. Dreadful. (laughs) Oh, that's scary. (laughs) You have a lovely voice, and you're certainly not fat. Jean wrote, thank you so much. I love the idea of pay it forward. I hope to do the same. I'm really looking forward to finding how I can be of service. You're more than welcome, Jean. Now, Jean is talking about our free intertalk programs. These MP3 programs are the real deal. Uh, these are programs that sell for $27.95 on CD. And this is the patented and proven effective intertalk technology that has been studied by independent researchers and repeatedly demonstrated effective. And these studies were scientific double-blind studies. And we have free programs for a variety of issues, ranging from stress to forgiving and letting go. So to get yours, just go to eldentaylor.com, and from the left-hand navigation pane, choose free programs. Couldn't be easier. We think of this as our pay-it-forward effort, so please do go get yours today. Now, Sharon wrote, I love that you have Psalms 23 and 91 here. And again, Sharon speaking about the free MP3s. Those are among my favorite chapters. I am in great need of these. Thank you for offering them for free. I suffer from depression and hopelessness. So I am looking forward to the benefits that these free MP3s may give me. I will send an update in the future of what they have done for me. Well, please do that, Sharon. Thanks for your feedback. And while you're there looking at the MP3s, be sure you get the free program, uh, Helpless Hopelessness, putting an end to helpless hopelessness feelings. Rodriguez wrote, I want to thank you for these programs. They have been so helpful for me. 
Lisa wrote, I first met you on Coast to Coast Radio. I picked up your book and CD. Then shortly after that, I saw you had been added to the Hay House schedule. Yay. Thank you for your work and for sharing this gift with Hay House listeners. Well, you're more than welcome, Lisa. Now, Cheryl wrote, Hello, Ravinder. I'm taking this opportunity since I see your name to let you know how much I value, enjoy, and am stimulated by Eldon Taylor's provocative enlightenment program on Hay House. I recently purchased several of Eldon's books and a DVD based on how much I benefit from the radio broadcast. I have the Serenity CD playing now and look forward to the new program I have ordered. Thank you for your contribution to our growth and developments as spiritual beings. Wow. Thank you, Cheryl. And we'll do our very best to keep the programming coming. Anna Porn wrote, and I hope I'm saying that correctly, I read your book, Mind Programming, I love it, I counsel people, and I am an intuitive reader, hands-on healer. I'm recommending your book and CDs to friends, family, and clients. Thank you ever so much. Well, now, thank you. And since our subject is all about the empowering side of my book, Mind Programming, I'm going to use your letter as a segue to today's show, uh, Anna Porn. But first... All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by leaving comments on my website or by emailing me at eldon at eldentaylor.com and or by joining me on Facebook. I do read all your letters, even though we don't have time to share them all on the show. That said, they do obviously impact our programming, so thank you. I do appreciate your support, and we hope you continue to enjoy our work, our show. Now to today's program. What do terms such as self-help, personal empowerment, self-actualization, personal power, self-growth, spiritual journey, and the like, what, what do these terms really mean? I mean, translate all of that jargon into what do I do, how do I do it, and when do I know I have done it? And, and that makes sense to me. When you Google self-help, There is no end to the information available. According to Wiki, the history of self-help, self-improvement, and so forth really reaches way back. The authors of the 1994 book, First Things First, invoke wisdom literature dating back as far as 2500 B.C. The Stoics offered advice with a psychological flavor around 500 B.C. Now, in my little bookstore, we sell Samuel Smiles, little book published in 1859, entitled Self-Help. Its opening sentence, Heaven helps those who help themselves. Now, that provides a variation on God helps them that help themselves, the off-quoted maxim that also appeared earlier in Benjamin Franklin's Poor Richard's Almanac. Now, there are those who have suggested that Dale Carnegie began the self-help movement in the 20th century when he published How to Win Friends and Influence People in 1936. Wiki states that, having failed in several careers, Carnegie became fascinated with success and its link to self-confidence and studied the subject for years. Carnegie's books have, have since sold over 50 million copies. And then there are the two classics that I favor, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich and Vance Packard's The Hidden Persuaders. With these two books on the scene, there's no doubt but what everyone from those in the business world to those behind the Sunday meeting pulpit were spouting the virtues of self-help. 
Now, the brilliant psychologist Abraham Maslow advanced the idea of self-actualization, and in my mind, this raised the bar for self-help or self-improvement. The reason it raised the bar was Maslow's observation of the hierarchy of needs. According to Janet Simmons in her The Search for Understanding, quote, as a humanist, Maslow believed that humans strive for an upper level of capabilities. Humans seek the frontiers of creativity, the highest reaches of consciousness and wisdom. This has been labeled fully functioning person, healthy personality, or as Maslow called this label, this level, self-actualizing person. I'll get the saliva straight here, and then my tongue won't twist up. <clears throat> Maslow set up a hierarchic theory of needs. All of his basic needs are instinctive. It's important that you pay attention to that, because if you do indeed look at his hierarchy of needs, you will see that one follows from another. In other words, humans start with a very weak disposition that is then fashioned fully as the person grows. If the environment is right, people will grow straight and beautiful, actualizing the potentials they have inherited. If the environment is not right, and we can put that word in quotation marks, and mostly it is not, foremost, they will not grow tall and straight and beautiful. So Maslow set up a hierarchy of five levels of basic needs. Beyond these needs, higher levels of needs exist. These include needs for understanding, ascetic appreciation, and purely spiritual needs. In the levels of the five basic needs, the person does not feel the second need, according to Maslow, until the demands of the first need have been satisfied, nor the third until the second has been satisfied, and so forth. So, in other words, his basic survival elements, which are food, water, air, and shelter, must be satisfied before we would move to the next level, which is safety and security needs, or the next level, which is social needs, and so forth. Okay. Now, on that last idea, I tend to disagree. And and I do so. I think the need for spiritual connection often occurs before we have moved through the so-called lower needs that Maslow's defined. But that said, remember, Maslow's addressing instinctual needs. And one might well argue, at least philosophically, about the nature of instinctual spirituality. There would be many who would say there is no such thing as a spiritual instinct. And there would be others that would say the brain is wired in such a way that we can stimulate a deep religious experience, and therefore it, 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 it in and of itself is also, um, what shall we say, potentially instinctual. All right, set that aside. Now the skeptics have this to say about self-help. I always like to look. I mean, this is provocative enlightenment. We have to look at both sides. Michael Shermer, editor of The Skeptic, questions the entire movement and highly recommends a book titled Sham, How the Self-Help Movement Made America Helpless by Steve Salerno. The title says a lot. The publisher says this, and I quote, The self-help and actualization movement, get that, Self-help, S-H, and actualization movement, A-M. The titular sham, S-H-A-M, is, according to Salerno, an $8 billion a year industry that depends on legions of repeat customers. Salerno presents a carefully researched and devastating expose on shams predatory 
and fraudulent practices and its corrosive effects on society. Continuing, with judicious delight, he exposes the bluster and blithe hypocrisy of Dr. Phil, who psychologists say shames rather than helps his guests, and Dr. Laura, the preacher of family values, who didn't know when her own mother was murdered, among many others. He cites examples of junk science, such as Tony Robbins' talk of the, quote, energy frequency of foods, and charges that untested alternative medicine draws people away from proven medical treatments. In addition to detailing the raw facts, Lerno excels at pinpointing the self-abnegating strategy the self-help industry employs, namely tearing you down in the name of building you up. And the positivity yields questionable results in any case. The self-help industry should not be dismissed as silly but benign, says Salerno, and his document and he documents how it undermines psychology, education, and healthcare in this blistering critique. Close quote. Well, take that, you say. All right, but then to fan the flames. No pun intended. To all of this, we might add the James Arthur Ray case pending trial in Arizona. According to today's news, the trial has been indefinitely postponed while we decide if we can find a jury, a jurisdiction, and what will be admissible in the court and so forth. Now, I've written about this one. I've also written and spoken about all the studies that show how our critical thinking breaks down in the presence of what we consider to be an authority. Indeed, uh, your financial expert gives you advice, that area of the brain shuts off. Uh, You're in church and your minister prays, that area of the brain shuts off. And and I could go on. So in, in areas, areas, those areas of the brain in charge of vigilance and skepticism, discriminating information, literally turn off to borrow the language of pet scan people in the presence of an authority. So where do I start? And how do I avoid the many traps out there that would lead me away? Are there traps indeed? When do I take responsibility for myself? And when do I turn over to the guru or the psychic, the astrologer or the priest and so forth? After all, can the spots on the leopard really ever be changed? And if so... Is self-realization, self-actualization, self-improvement the way to accomplish this? I have my own ideas and opinions about all of it. But how about you? We would like your input, and we invite you to join us by calling toll-free 1-866-254-1579. And international callers can dial our country code, then 760-918-4300. All right, Rav, you have some questions based on comments and feedback from our clients, customers, and listeners all about this subject. So where do you want to begin? You know, I'd like to start with with the event in Arizona with James Arthur Ray. You know, what do you think about that? You know, I guess where, where I want to go to on this one, because this is the kind of thing that I think might happen to any number of people in the self-help industry, is first of all, if you look at at who Ray is and where he came from. And, you know, he was a telemarketing person. And Oprah suddenly put him in the, in the major spotlight. What you have to do is understand, set aside all of that, 
all of uh, what arguably could be his motives, uh, his lack of training, or, or or all of that. What you have to do is look at the people that are participating. That's where I would go. Let's come right off of our setup piece. In the setup piece, I talked about how that discriminating, those discriminating areas of the brain get shut down in the presence of an authority. So here you have your authority. You have paid thousands of dollars to attend and and go through this particular workshop. And there are a number of workshops where these kinds of things have been done with Ray. So you're attending. You, you have respiratory problems. You become aware that you have that, but you're told to remain seated. How long do you remain seated? I mean, look, we know that there was at least one licensed healthcare professional present inside. And that individual was aware that there was no such thing as an intake sheet taken. So in other words, everybody that's inside uh, the sweat lodge are, are they're there because they paid their money. That's it. We don't we don't have a medical history. We know nothing about them. There's no supervising medical care. This is just okay. You're going to be spiritual warriors. You're going to tough it out. You're going to have your vision. You know, you're going to stay here. You're going to remain here. And people gave up their own uh, responsibility. They 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 allowed this to happen. So I I, I think. You know, the first place that I go when you say, what do I think about it, is the warning that I I give everyone. You know, look, self-responsibility means a whole lot more than just words. It means a whole lot more than just forgiveness, you know. It means I'm going to take responsibility for everything in my life, everything in my life. Even if I have no control of how it came to me, I do have control of what I'm going to do in response to to this stimulus. Do you follow me? I do. I do. I think it's a really difficult kind of situation. I mean, how often do you hear, you know, you shouldn't quit, you know, feet from the end of the race, you know, um, persist. How do you balance the two of those? I mean, with James Arthur Ray, now, I do not think he is a bad person, in quotes. I think what happened to James Arthur Ray could happen to a large number of teachers out there. It can be just an over amount of enthusiasm for what it is that you're actually doing. For the person attending, don't they have, I mean, in some instances, they can have so much desire to have that spiritual experience that that too causes them to shut down. We'll see what the court says. Clearly, there is a mutual responsibility here, though. I mean, I... I do believe that this should be a shot across the bow to anybody that's yeah. out there doing this kind of thing. You really need to do your homework. You really need to make sure that you protect these people. And, and we'll take on this whole area of what, what is your responsibility? I mean, when the psychic says, should you or shouldn't you? I'd like to remind you to please like, to use the words of Facebook, our provocative enlightenment Facebook pages. And while you're there, I invite you to join me personally on Facebook as a friend. Finally, be sure to check out the free programs and sign up for our free newsletter when you visit eldentaylor.com. Those free programs couldn't be labeled any more clearly. Just go to eldentaylor.com and look on that left-hand pane, left-hand navigation pane for free programs. Click there, and it will take you directly easy to find easy to do okay we had a caller with that question that we were unable to take but 
I, I hope you're still listening so you, you found what you're looking for. We're talking about self-responsibility. Where, where the line is uh, by way of self-responsibility. And as you know, Ravinder, a large part of my work, my research, my writing has, has been about the breakdown in self-responsibility. How, you know, what I like to use with our sons is how people guppy up to all of these ideas and notions without discriminating, uh, without really examining how we we just buy a soundbite and then we take off with that soundbite as though we we had a background of knowledge about it and we can become really emotional. <clears throat> and, and all of this happens because we're unwilling to take the responsibility that's involved in, I suppose, investigating our own belief system, investigating our own values and uh, maybe, you know, actually doing thought experiments like I, I perform in the newest book. Uh, mm-hmm. Those thought experiments that force you to look at situations from, from all sides, even the most uncomfortable. But in the end, <clears throat> to take responsibility for the decision. So if you're in that sweat lodge, there is a level of responsibility for why you remain there to a point that, uh, was unacceptable to your health to to now and i say that you know and i mean to say that very judiciously not uh, putting blame on anyone and not so much for the people that uh, died in the sweat lodge as for everyone out there that's listening is still alive because tomorrow we any of us could be confronted with that situation where the force says to us that that authority that guru that that priestess or rabbi or minister or this is what you should do and we need to take responsibility for that not get ourselves in the place well you remember when we were in san diego not to get off here on a diatribe Mm but tangent uh, I had a I had a woman approach me and ask me about a psychic mm-hmm. who had just told her that uh, her mother and her brother, I believe it was, yeah. uh, were going to they were after her money and that she should be very, very careful because they were after her money. And the woman came to me and she said, well, what, what should I do? This psychic has just told me, I mean, I love my mother and my brother. I don't have as much money as they do, but if they're after my money, I suppose I should be really careful about doing anything with them. I mean, it makes me want to just even withdraw from them. What, what should I do? And, and, and here's the problem that I have with a lot of that kind of advice. You know, the fact of the matter is what you should do is make your own decision. You know, you, you, you may take this as a piece of information, and maybe there's evidence that goes with that information. I mean, you know, the years that I practiced criminalistics and we would we would conduct an investigation, we would hear all kinds of stories and reports. I mean, we'd have eyewitnesses tell you different stories that saw the same crime go down, give you different descriptions, all right? So it, it's always an instance of what's the evidence behind uh, this information. So, um, you know, as I said to her, you, you have to always be willing to take responsibility for whatever that decision is that you're going to make. And the only way I know for people to get to that place 
is to do some of the deprogramming that we also have talked about in the past. You know, Find out who you really are. Get away from some of these false notions of what you've practiced to be or you've projected to be or, you you know, uh, and, and, and really get inside yourself. Does that make sense to you? It does. That has to be the most important thing that you have taught me in, in 20 years of sitting at the coffee table and having discussions because we've talked quite a bit about James Arthur Ray in this particular situation, but we've talked about lots of them. And you've always highlighted to me how important it is to think about it, not just to grab a sound bite. And there have been loads of areas where I could have gone off on a really exciting sounding tangent. You know, I've been interested in developing my psychic abilities and viewing auras and doing this course and doing that course, you know, with the healing. And you have always taught me trust yourself. You've all, you've already got the answer within you. And that frustrated me no end a gazillion times, <laughs> you know, because it's, it's like, I think humans have a desire to have the answer right now. And I think the most significant thing you can learn about self-improvement and the search for enlightenment is that it is a journey. It yeah. is part of the process. And that is, I think, what enlightenment is. It's not an end goal. It is the journey and what you do with it. And so if you can maximize that experience, think about everything that you do or all, all your choices that you have, all, all the beliefs that you have, think about them once again. Are they really my own? Or is this something that I have grabbed because an expert has told me or everybody agrees with it? Or See, that's, that's another one of those areas where we've got all this hard evidence. We know that you know, if we can take most individuals, mm -hmm. probably not you now because you know about it, but otherwise I would have said you, <laughs> and, and put you in an environment with 15 or 20 other people uh -huh. and show you various things, maybe the length of a line, two lines and to ask you which is the longest, and you will identify the longest line, but the other 19 people that are confederates there all in on the experiment will shake their head and say, oh, no, 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 the shorter one is the longer line. And they'll do that a couple of times with you, and from there on in, you'll begin to comply. You will um, <laughs> negate your own senses in favor of the pressure that surrounds you so you know it's something that we're we all have to deal with we all have to be aware of these, these are inherent aspects of our psychology but coming back to something that you said the process you know i am so reminded whenever somebody says process of the wonderful book we both enjoyed by herman hess mm -hmm. siddhartha that one says it all it's a you know? marvelous book if anyone out there hasn't read that book i'd Highly recommend it. Well, I tell you, I, I would too, but uh, it is a story, uh, and, and obviously Hess played it this way. Siddhartha is the Buddha's name. Uh, so it is a story of enlightenment, but this is a story of a, of a wealthy young man born to a rich family, just as the Buddha was, who uh, decides that uh, his father and his mother, they don't have the answers. Uh, spirituality is what he is interested in, and, and he leaves with uh, a friend who is also basically what would be the, you know, the equivalent uh, of a slave to the family. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> the two of them set out to find this enlightenment. 
And, of course, in the quest, he becomes the very best at everything he does, whether it is asceticism and complete denial, uh, or it is later uh, as a rich man building wealth and, uh, and having an affair which leads to the birth of a child with a, a, a very wealthy prostitute. Uh, in the process, he meets the Buddha. And the Buddha, of course, uh, he hears speak. Now, he's been searching for enlightenment throughout this story. And he recognizes the Buddha is enlightened. His friend decides to remain with the Buddha, but he decides to leave. And his friend wants to know why. And he says, well, this is the right place for you, but it's not for me. And as he's leaving the garden, the Buddha addresses him and says uh, something, words to the effect that, uh, why are you leaving? And Siddhartha says, well, I recognize that you're truly enlightened, that you are an enlightened teacher, that you have much to share. But I don't seek an enlightened teacher. I seek enlightenment. I love it. And from there on, the story goes, and, and we discover that he finds enlightenment by being who he is, and living through his life. Uh, he becomes the enlightened, what would you call him, river guide? Uh, not the ascetic, n- not the guru on, on the mountaintop. Uh, living his life, doing the best that he can do in his life, doing the one thing that I tell everybody I believe is the purpose of life, service, period. You know, and, and that brings me to this. Uh, all the research shows us that true self-esteem isn't, isn't about my diplomas or my automobiles or my home or, or my, you know, um, the things that I have that I've acquired in life. True self-esteem comes when I put my head on the pillow at night and I know my life mattered. I know that somehow, some way... I've been able to help someone. You see, all the research shows us that when you go to the aid of somebody in need, the body, the brain rewards you with all those good chemicals. Indeed, you can be an incontractable pain and the pain will disappear. Just disappear. You can do something as simple as write a check to your favorite charity like Women for Women. Okay, dot org. All right. You can do something as simple as open the door for someone that's you know, right. who's having difficulty. That's Someone's right. carrying a baby or an old person, and, and it does feel good. Well, it more than feels good. The brain is wired to give you those good neurochemicals. You mm-hmm. get those endorphin chemicals. You are wired to be rewarded for doing service. So, to me, you know, that little part about enlightenment to me enlightenment's going to come as i live my life in the process of doing what i can do to make lives better for all that i come in contact with and if i change my focus then from me as a noun you know i'm eldon taylor and and uh, i have this education and i live in this city state and i was born on this date and i'm this tall and weigh this much da 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 if i if i shift my emphasis from eldon taylor the noun to eldon taylor the verb i begin to live as siddhartha in hess's book lived and in that verb uh 
my experiences, my life reveals to me all that I need to be enlightened in that moment and now. Does that make sense? It does. And that does come to, you know, the obvious next question. Um, you know, how do, how do you remain diligent about all the information you accept and the path that you choose to walk down? How do you go about that? Well, in, in my book, you know, uh, you essentially create yourself, consciously create yourself, uh, you know, uh, the being that you want to be. We we essentially think of that as icons, you know. Uh, when I was a child, you know, maybe my icon was John Wayne, you know. Uh, Mine's Mother Teresa and Princess Diana. You know, see, and you've got a couple of beautiful ones. They're, they're but I went through this whole era where my icons were the tough and the rough and the rowdy and, you know, uh, and that's a great way to mess up your life. But it's also a good way to... To, to see what works and what doesn't work. And so the very first thing that I suggest everybody uh, is, is to create an icon. Create that personal icon. When you're kids, you did it. You fantasized scripts. You maybe even stood in front of the mirror and put your finger out and said, go ahead and make my day or or preened, you, you preened yourself in some way. Uh, the, the bottom line is, as adults, we can undo that by just simply consciously deciding this is how I want to live. This, this is my icon. This is, this is my manual in life. If my manual in life says I want to be in life for service, whatever I do, I'm going to do it to my very best. Let's assume, you know, I'm a plumber or I'm an electrician or I sell cars. In fact, I'm going to digress a little here. When I was a boy... Uh, I had a whole lot of questions, you know, like like most young people. And I happened to be at a Sunday service once, uh, visiting the Sunday service, and basically visiting at that time as an agnostic, looking for an opportunity to pick a fight with whoever, you know, might be the preacher giving whatever the, the, the story was for the day, and uh, kind of a cocky young kid. And, and the teaching of that day was about uh, God creates us all equal. And, and, you know, to me, that's absurd. At the time, that was absurd. So when I got my chance to ask the question, I asked, you know, how can you say uh, we're all created equal when you look into the world and there are mongoloids, there are da-da-da-da-da. You know, we all see the, the differences in the world. And this teacher stood back and he looked at me and he said, um, do you know who Walter Von Braun is? And, of course, at the time I did, he was on the cover of all the magazines, Time, Life, etc., because he, he was the father of what we, today we call rocketry. And there had just been this great successful launch, and it was all over. So he said to me, all right, I want you to imagine how Von Braun felt when the launch was successful. Well, that was easy, okay? So now I want you to imagine, um, you know, some kind of, let's say, a custodian. And this custodian has been given a room to clean. And the, the room has been abandoned. And, and he cleans the room out, and, the, and it's all ready except for the floor. And the floor has just got all these years of stuff on it, and it's yellowing. And, but otherwise, it's a nice floor. It's a, let's say it's a tile floor a black and white checkered tile floor like a checkerboard. So he says this custodian goes to work on this floor. He works all day long, 
into the night. He scrubs the corners with a toothbrush. He has toothpicks in there. His knuckles are raw, raw to the point that, you know, one or two of them are bleeding. And when he is all said and done, and he waxes it and he buffs it, he has done his very best. He stands back, and it looks better than any brand-new floor ever looked. Now imagine how he feels. Is there any difference between the two? You see, so if we take our very best into whatever it is that we do, and we do it with the idea of service, because that's 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 what we do, you know. I, I mean, wh- whoever you are, whatever you do, you make your living by service. You're selling a product. You're selling a service. You're helping someone. You, you know, that's the economy of the world, not just how dollars and cents move, but how energy moves. If you go in... Doing your very best. I believe that you find enlightenment. Does that answer your question? It does. It also reminds me, actually, you have a program, um, Personal Icon, Finding Your Path in Life. Mm -hmm. And that was created specifically for the person who wasn't sure who or what they wanted to be. So that could be a good program for people to try out as well. Well, you know, we have a lot of intertalk programs, and I heard... uh, Louise Hay talk about affirmations and essentially say, you know, that stream of consciousness, she didn't use the word stream of consciousness, but all that self-talk, that is an affirmation. That's a continuing affirmation. Mm -hmm. If you stop and you listen to how you're talking to yourself right now and you you say something, yeah, I don't know about that service stuff. I, you know, there are people in the world that do this and they do that. What you have is a stream of consciousness that is self-defeating to your own self-actualization. If you follow Maslow's hierarchy, we all need these lower levels satisfied. It's it's that simple. But I do believe that we also have a spiritual instinct, that it is born... It, 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 we know it's wired into us. So that's my own personal bias. We could take that up on another subject. But given that... The reason that we're here isn't about uh, how many swimming pools we own or, or, or how many houses we own. The reason we're here is about this process that is written within. And, and when we start looking for what's written within, you know, at, at the map within, and, and that's what I talk so much about in you know my latest book, What Does That Mean?, as we look at that, we have to get by this dialogue that's going on in her head that is often very self-sabotaging. It says, you know, I'm not any good. I, I don't deserve. It's the result of all the information voiced upon us throughout our lives by peers and and uh, and others who, for all intent and purpose. All right. Well, we have two minutes remaining. Uh, this is a subject you and I talk about hours and hours so we do it's very important to me trying to discover who i am and trying to uncover that one so yeah i struggle with that one regularly so what would you like to tell everybody out there in say one minute that is kind of the bottom line to what we are talking about today well i think i can summarize what you've taught me over 20 years and that is you know pay attention to what is going on don't grab sound sound bites um, you do need some kind of education to be aware of, um, you know, how all the programming gets into your mind. Because some, I mean, it's not all manipulation. It's just part of your psychology and the desires we have. I think we have desires to be special. 
And that can push us in directions that we don't necessarily want to go. Um, I think, you know, when it comes to your programs, the inner talk programs, we do, I think most people come in with certain challenges they have that they want, want to overcome. And I certainly had my own. I dealt with the esteem and the fear and the anger and some of that stuff. But after a while, um, you know, the titles like Prosperity and Abundance don't interest me. They can interest somebody else. And we have amazing testimonials for that program. But for me, it is the spiritual. So I play your programs constantly. I think that keeps me on balance. So the combination of the two, working with the inner talk programs and having you constantly reminding me to pay attention. Okay, well, we're out of time. I think the component that is, is, is listen to yourself. That, I mean, that's where I'm going to go. Take responsibility for everything in your life. We've come to the end of another hour of Provocative Enlightenment, and I want to thank all of you for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. I uh, hope you'll be back next week, and until we talk to you then, remember, believing in yourself always matters. <laughs>